With the death of Mikhail Gorbachev this week, attention has naturally turned back to the end of the Cold War and the dissolution of the Soviet Union in December 1991 and the way those events continue to shape international and national affairs. While the focus has quite naturally been on the Russian side of the equation, the end of the Cold War was equally momentous for the US too. And as it happens, how the politics of the 1990s continue to shape the politics of today is precisely the theme of a new book published this week by Nicole Hemmer, Associate Professor of History at Vanderbilt University. Nicole is a prominent scholar of right-wing media in America and its political impact. Her latest book is called Partisans, the conservative revolutionaries who remade American politics in the 1990s. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Associate Professor Nicole Hemmer to Sunday Extra Now. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Nicole, what's your argument about the effect that the end of the Cold War had on right-wing politics in America? So the end of the Cold War took away what had really been the defining logic of conservatism in the U.S. for nearly half a century. The idea that democracy and freedom had to be at the forefront of U.S. politics was part of the Cold War context, this Mm. idea that U.S politics had to be defined against communism and totalitarianism and unfreedom. And when the Cold War ended, that logic began to fall away. And what you saw rise up in its place was a much harsher and a less attached to democracy version of conservatism in the U.S. Mm, Yeah. So really, uh, as I read it, you were saying there's sort of these underlying currents on the right of American politics that had sort of been not so much papered over, but that had provided an external, the Cold War had provided an external focus. And once that was uh, taken away, uh, things started to disintegrate. Um, One key figure, of course, and one commonly cited in American conservatism is Ronald Reagan. Uh, Nicole Hemmer, what was Reaganism and what happened to the Reaganite tradition in the Republican Party of the 1990s? So Ronald Reagan was one of these Cold War conservatives, but his conservatism had a special spin on it that made him so popular in the United States in the 1980s. Now, there are plenty of people in the U.S. who did not care for Ronald Reagan, but he left the presidency in 1989 with the highest approval rating of any modern U.S. president. There was something about his mix of pragmatism, his optimism, and the way that he projected an image um, of freedom and democracy in the world that, that Americans really responded to. Reaganism, though, came to an end along with the Cold War. Again, that underlying logic of it fell away. And you had a conservatism that emerged that instead of being optimistic was pessimistic, instead of being popular, became much narrower and focused on more negative emotions. And it's that conservatism that was very effective in winning seats in Congress, a little less effective at winning the presidency and would become the conservatism that we are so familiar with today. It's interesting that you mentioned plenty of people who didn't care for Reagan. I, I tend to think of Reagan being sort of uh, deified amongst particularly conservative Republicans, but you chart out how many people on the right of the Republican Party really didn't like Ronald Reagan even when he was in office. Um, well, one of the seminal figures in your book, Partisans, is Pat Buchanan. Uh, indeed, you, you write that Donald Trump recreated the Buchanan agenda with relatively few updates. Uh, many, but not all 
Australians will be familiar with Pat Buchanan. I wonder if you could please chart out for us the course of his career and give us your assessment of its significance. So Pat Buchanan was always a blend of media personality and politico. So he started off as an opinion writer in St. Louis and Missouri in the Midwest in the United States. And then he went to work in low-level positions for Richard Nixon and then ultimately Ronald Reagan. But what he was really known for in the U.S. was he was a conservative pundit. He was on CNN's Crossfire. He was on this show on public television called The McLaughlin Group. People knew him as this kind of scrappy fighter in the media. And he uses that platform in 1992 to run for president and and kind of pioneers or or debuts this new kind of post-Reagan conservatism that, again, it it was much darker and it it was more populist, it was more racist and nativist, but it really did speak to a kind of discontent and frustration that many Americans, particularly white Americans, felt in the early 1990s. And so he was unexpectedly popular in 92, which is why he runs again in 1996 and as a Reform Party candidate in 2000. Uh, It's interesting that you um, you talk about the the themes that that Buchanan pushed. It makes me marvel even more at the fact that, um, uh, you know, Pat Buchanan was backed by Rush Limbaugh, uh, but then Ronald Reagan, after leaving office, sort of um, ordained Rush Limbaugh as the the number one voice for conservatism uh, in the country. Could you uh, tell us a little bit more about what you think the role of Rush Limbaugh has been in this um, these sort of revolutionaries of the 1990s? Limbaugh is hugely important. So he's a, a radio talk show host. Um, he pioneers the kind of uh, talkback radio that Australians will be familiar with. And he is an entertainer. He's this larger-than-life figure. And by the early 1990s, he's a media phenomenon. No one has ever seen anything like him. He's attracting millions of listeners. He has a very hardcore conservatism that is blended in with all of these different types of entertainment. He does parody songs. Um, He's constantly cracking jokes. He weaves in outrageous and sometimes racist and sexist comments into his commentary, and people on the right absolutely loved him. And what was so important about him in, in the early 1990s is that when he comes out in support of Pat Buchanan, it really scares the sitting president, George H.W. Bush, so much so that he invites Rush Limbaugh to sleep overnight at the White House because he wants his support. It's a it's a remarkable scene that Limbaugh talks about all the time because it wasn't just that he slept at the White House. It's that President Bush carried his bags. And it's such a symbolic moment because the Republican Party would be uh, picking up the bags for Rush Limbaugh for a few decades to come. Yes, indeed. I think it's probably a good thing that the uh, that the White House sleepover hasn't become a standard part of uh, <laughs> right. diplomatic politics in America. On Sunday Extra, we are speaking with Nicole Hemmer, Associate Professor of History at Vanderbilt University and the author of Partisans, the Conservative Revolutionaries Who Remade American Politics in the 1990s. Uh, Nicole, you point out that the nationalist, protectionist strain of the American right goes much farther back in history than the the, the 90s, although, and you refer, in fact, to the incarnations in the 1930s and the, and the 40s, for example. In the 1990s, did, did that nationalist protectionist strain of the Republican Party get just much bigger proportionally than it had been? So it, it not only got much bigger and more influential, but it got more 
popular and more um more media savvy in many ways. I mean, I think that you have this old right from the 1930s and 1940s. So, so there's a renewal of those politics, but they're now married in the 1990s to an entirely new media infrastructure. So we just talked about Limba and the rise of talkback radio, but there was also the rise of cable news in the United States. Uh, it's in the 1990s that Fox News and MSNBC are founded. And then also the, the early days of the internet and that new media and the fact that these figures, these partisans in the 1990s are so good at using that media to create not just you know, platforms for themselves, but to really create a movement that feels connected to these media and connected to these new old ideas mm. is is really powerful. And that's why it has so much power in the 1990s. Another and 1990s, in a sense, a, a tipping point, because a lot of the themes of the, the earlier parts of history that you recount are ways in which that strain of the Republican Party is sort of edged out of the top jobs and the people who run for president and those sorts of things, or if they do happen to get up, they lose at, at the polls. Um, but since the 1990s, has the Republican, the majority of the Republican Party essentially been taken over by that strain? Yes, and that's not something that we would have necessarily expected at the end of the 1990s, mm. even though you had people like Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh and Pat Buchanan who were embracing um, these partisan politics. You know, the, the decade ends with George W. Bush becoming president, and he seems much more like Ronald Reagan than like Pat Buchanan. Um, but, you know, I, I think listeners understand how the Bush presidency went. Um, there was a lot of failures on the foreign policy front. Um, there were real disappointments and frustrations over things like the response to Hurricane Katrina and the deregulation of the financial markets, giant tax cuts, all of which ended in the global financial crisis. And so in many ways, the Bush presidency disproves Reaganism mm. um, and really allows for this um, new right of the 1990s to become the dominant strain in Republican politics. And we see that in the Tea Party and then ultimately in the rise of Donald Trump. Yes, and that's exactly where I was going to come to next, Nicole Hemmer. What, what are the implications of your take on the, the history of American conservatism for assessments of uh, Donald Trump? So there has been this giant debate that's been raging in the United States and elsewhere since Donald Trump became president. And that is, is Donald Trump a rupture with the Republican Party or is he just the natural result of the direction the party had been moving for decades? And this book very much comes down on the side of he was, if not inevitable, then somebody who certainly could have been foreseen because he hits all of these developments that had been taking place since the 1990s around the media, around protectionist politics, around the rise of a new dark nativism and anti-immigrant politics in the U.S. And so I think it's important to understand the answer to that question about rupture or continuation because it helps us better understand, you know, if you want a more liberal, small-D Democratic Republican Party, it's not just about not voting for Donald Trump, but it is about addressing some of these larger changes that have been happening in the party. Yes, and Nicole, you recount also the way that uh, over time, 
Conservative figures flirted with leaving the Republican Party behind and Ross Perot, of course, ran for president as an independent in 1992 and got the, the highest non, non-major party vote with about mm-hmm. 19% of the vote then. In the 90s, it was figures to the right of the Republican mainstream who left. Is your sense that the Republican Party can remain uh, sort of... Uh, together with its two strands, or that perhaps these days it might be the, those in the centre of the Republican Party who might have to leave the party. I, I think that is exactly what we're seeing. And we saw that most recently with the failure of Liz Cheney, who was a uh, representative from Wyoming and who uh, had voted to impeach Donald Trump and sits on the January 6th committee. Um, her losing her primary to a Trump-friendly Republican. There just isn't much space in the Republican Party anymore for really any kind of dissent from the MAGA Trump line. And so for not for never Trumpers, they've largely left the party already. But even within the party, somebody as conservative as, as Liz Cheney can lose her seat. And I think that suggests that the party has almost entirely been overtaken by the politics that I write about in Partisans. Mm. Uh, just finally, Nicole Hemmer, uh, 1990s Republican House Speaker Newt Gingrich, who you mentioned earlier, was back in the news this week uh, with the January 6th Commission seeking information about his involvement with, with TV ads that spread false claims. What, what place does Newt Gingrich have in your account of the 1990s and beyond? So Gingrich was somebody who really believed that politics needed to be meaner. One of his biggest criticisms of Ronald Reagan was that Reagan focused too much on governing and not enough on polarizing the country. And that was something that Gingrich really focused on when he was Speaker of the House in the 1990s. But I think what's important to understand is that even as he was trying to polarize U.S. politics, he was constantly facing threats to his leadership from people further to the right and even more hardline than he was. And so that constant kind of push to the right, push to the more extreme has been something that Newt Gingrich in many ways has been involved in doing, but also has been following on. Um, he has been moving to the right as his party moves to the right. And it was something that he he learned when he was speaker. Nicole Hammer, thanks so much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's Associate Professor of History at Vanderbilt University, Nicole Hemmer, who's the author of the new publication, Partisans, the Conservative Revolutionaries Who Remade American Politics in the 1990s. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.